0: If you really believe that, let's just give 30 seconds of worship right now. To you, oh wise king, my heavenly father, there is nobody like you. Oh, we're so honored, God, that you would meet us in such a special way, Lord. I worship you because you never change, you never fail, but you are still the same. Yesterday, today, and forever, who is like you? None can compare. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, hallelujah. What a sweet spirit in this house. Uh, It's just great to be here with everyone. And uh, I echo Pastor John as he uh, talked about what's coming up this week. And we have heard this several times um, through social media, through our news outlets. We hear the phrase, be on the right side of history. So I am challenging everyone who is online and everyone who is in this building and anyone that you know, that this weekend First Church will be recording. We will host a live recording with Pastor Draylen Young and be on the right side of history. Be in the building if at all possible. I'm telling you, it'll be $25 for your ticket. It will be well worth it. Um, And I don't know if, if you have ever been to a live recording before, when you purchase the album the album has a lot more meaning there's a lot of memories tied from the live recording so i would ask you if at all possible first church let's support pastor draylon young and kelsey young and the team the creative team first church will be doing a lot of the back drop and a lot of the work and a lot of our worship leaders are involved in that so um, i cannot wait to be in the room and support our worship pastor and what will happen and this is a monumental moment for first church so um i am excited for that also we do have a guest in the house uh i i don't we're not going to give him the microphone he's not going to speak but we're just so excited that asher john davy is in the house along with rachel and aaron we're Killing them drums. We are thankful. We love this family. We love you guys. Uh, it's a proud moment when I walk back there and I seen granddaddy holding that baby. Um, it didn't look like that was possible a few weeks ago, but here he is alive and well. It is a miracle. And he is holding that baby boy with mom. And man, that's a story of redemption. That is a story of grace, of healing, of power, of the name of Jesus. And uh incredible, incredible. So I am excited they are here. Um, but uh, I, I received a call from Pastor Hoffman this morning at 6.45. Uh, I don't know about you, but I hate 6.45 a.m. I typically like 8 a.m. Uh, but when I hear, well, Bo, that's usually never the, a good start to a story. Uh, so I heard a, well, Bo. So you pray for your pastor. Uh, it's been raining a lot and the creek in the back of their home has flooded and uh, he was just a couple of feet away from water entering their home. So he is out with several others trying to pump water out of the backyard. So keep your pastor in mind. So I am happy to disappoint you this morning and be with you and you get to hear me this morning. <laughs> um, but it is just an incredible time. So we're gonna we're gonna dig right in. I believe it's been uh, just a, an awesome touch of God's presence. Uh, And I will clarify for those of you who are online, as Pastor John was picking a hair out of his microphone, I would like to take credit for that. That probably came from my beard since I am the only one up here who has a beard that gets on this mic. So you're welcome for that. Um, And I think last time I was up here leading service, I had a white one that was out there and somebody from the crowd was like, hey, you've you've got a hair out there. And my wife constantly is brushing and trimming. So thank you for that. Um, but hey, why don't we pray and we'll get into the word. I have one scripture to read this morning. It is coming from Psalms 1.1. Blessed is the man that walks not in the counsel of the ungodly nor stands in the way of sinners nor sits in the seat of the scornful. And so this morning for just a little bit, I would like to uh, speak on the subject. Who are you sitting with? Who are you sitting with? Lord, I am so grateful that we are in this house collectively and online together hearing from you, and we've enjoyed our worship and connecting with you. So God, as we navigate through this message, uh, I believe something special will happen here this morning and that you will have your way and we receive it and that we are challenged in Jesus' name. You may be seated. Who are you sitting with? Who are the voices in your life when you look at being seated with somebody Um, I think that's a big deal because sitting with somebody means you're taking the time to invest with them. When you sit down, uh, everything uh, is pause. right? We're waiting. We're spending time together. If this was a uh, uh, more of a a conservative church, although some think we are, um, and if I didn't get killed, I probably would have had a cup of coffee up here, like all of you at home, enjoying your good cup of coffee while I'm not. Um, It would have been great to have a cup of coffee, but we're not going to do that. But, uh, you know, when you're looking at who are you sitting with, um, that tells the story of who you lend an ear, who you are investing to, who you allow to invest in your life. And when you look at uh, the seat that you are in and who you'll share that with, there are a lot of consequences that can take place when you are sitting with someone, you hear this often at First Church, that life happens in the context of relationships. This is why I am so passionate about life groups, I believe that life was never meant for us to live alone, alienated, but that we are meant to be together. And as Pastor John said earlier, that iron sharpens iron. There are great things that happen. There are a lot of uh, people that have connected with us through life groups, and they're a place where we grow relationally and spiritually. And so there is a place for that, very scriptural. Um, But I believe that um, we are uh, just, it happens in the context of relationships, Go back to the very beginning. God didn't see that it was fit for man to be alone. That's why he gave him a help meet. Eve came into the scene because he was not meant to live alone. So 1 Corinthians 2.14 says, For the body is not one member but many. If the foot shall say, Because I am not the hand, am I not the body? If therefore not of the body, and the ear shall say, Because I am not in the eye, am I not of the body? Is it therefore not of the body? If the whole body were an eye, where uh where would the hearing and where would the smelling be? But how but now hath God set forth the numbers, every one of them in the body, as it hath pleased him. We are a team of individuals. If you don't like where you are in the body, blame God. Because he said that he created you and put you where he seen and it pleased him where you are. The problem with church is that in church we have a sense of individualism, and we disconnect as well. Many people love to serial date church. they're serial daters. they love to hop around, never connect with the communicative uh, community of believers, never with accountability. but God did not design it to be that way. We are better. Together. We hear that so often, but that is never truer than today in the culture that we are in. So I get very frustrated when someone doesn't feel that they belong a part of the body because they don't have a specific gifting. Stop limiting yourself to somebody else's gifting. God didn't give you that gift for a reason. He gave you the gift that you have and you are important to the kingdom of God. You are important to First Church, to Sterling Heights, to your family, to your friends. Don't ever buy into the lie of the enemy that you are not of value because you wish you had someone else's gifting. It is so important for us to realize that. I uh, I have a close mentor friend of mine, he is gifted in making money. He really is. He everything he touches turns to gold. And I remember talking with him and he was so frustrated that um, they follow our church online and he has a home church and, and he just loves following First Church and the music and the you know we have a lot of gifted people that you see up front with many more gifted behind the scenes that we don't see, but I promise you without them First Church would not exist. Amen? The church struggles with millennials, but guess what? Without the millennials, we wouldn't have been online for about 12 weeks and everybody at home having a cup of coffee. Everybody was wanting a millennial in their church at that point. So do not discredit your gifting. But I remember having a conversation with him, and he said, man, Mike, you know, know, I'm frustrated. I sit in my church, and and I, I wish I could sing like what you guys have. I would love to be part of some of the teams we even have. I'm just not gifted. I said, man, you make piles of cash. And what you give into the kingdom has put more feet and soldiers across this globe reaching the world than we could ever do with one voice. Recognize the gift that God gave you because of you. There are people all across this country and the globe that are understanding and realizing who Christ is because of your gifting that we don't have. If everybody's saying we'd all be broke, somebody's got to make money. So don't underestimate the value of your gift. Hebrews 10, 24 through 25 says, and let us consider how to stir one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet each other as the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. We were on vacation these, uh, well, really until last night, when we were on vacation and uh, we tuned in Sunday to First Church because we didn't want to miss service, and we started talking about this in the vehicle and how the pandemic has really opened up the doors for us to really explore live streaming and other avenues of staying connected with the body. And uh, as we began to talking, I, I told my wife, I said, the pandemic has, has done a couple of great things, really, for the church. But the pandemic has really exposed those who didn't want to work or didn't want to go to church. Is that, is that all right? It's truth. It hurts a little bit. For those of you who aren't struggling with that, you're nodding, I'm just playing. It has exposed those that do not want to work because they can say, well, I'm too afraid, I'll stay home and collect my unemployment and not go to work. Then there are those who hide behind online church and they hide behind the pandemic, and listen, if church was just a box check to you before the pandemic, it was the perfect time for you to stay home. And believe me, I am, if there is a legitimate reason that you are online worshiping with us, we are excited that that is available and we are together. But let's be honest, for those who are skating under the premises of the pandemic to not be in church, I ask you to check your heart. I ask you to check your prayer life and your walk with God, because the Bible talks about us not neglecting the assembly of ourselves together and that it is vitally important that we are together. I'm not saying if there is a health issue, if there's a legitimate issue, but you know deep in your heart, if there was a time when you said, hey, you know what, let's just stay home and watch online, I really don't want to get out of the house, and then you start to see your discipline start to take a step back. Where are we praying? Where are we in our prayer walk, our prayer life? What are we reading? What are we listening to? Those are the things that we have to be so careful but in scripture, we are not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together. So again, the, po- the question is posed, who is in your chair? Who have you decided to surround yourself with? And in 1 Kings, we read about Elijah and Elisha. There are a lot of scriptures, so I won't read them all. I'll, I'll just kind of drop down as we go. But when you look at 1 Kings chapter 19, verses 1 through 5, it says, Ahab reported to to Jezebel everything that Elijah had done, including the massacre of the prophets. Mount Carmel, if if you don't know the story, you can go ahead and read that in 1 Kings 18, uh, where Elijah had slaughtered all of these prophets. Jezebel immediately sent a message to Elijah with her threat. The gods will get you for this, and I will get even with you. By this time tomorrow, you'll be as dead as any of those prophets. When Elijah saw how things were, he ran for dear life to Beersheba, far in the south side of Judah, and he left high young servants there and went on into the desert another day's journey. He came to a lone broom bush and collapsed in its shade wanting in the worst way to be done with all, to just die. And this is what he said, enough of this, God, take my life. I'm ready to join my ancestors in the grave. Exhausted, he fell asleep under the lone broom brush. Do you understand before this moment that Elijah had witnessed six miracles? And here he is challenged. Here somebody speaks into his life and said, when I get you, you're done, you're dead, we'll kill you. After seeing all that God had done for him, what did Elijah do? He ran, got to a tree, fell on the tree, and said, this is it for me, God. This is, this is my last prayer before I go to sleep. And there are some of us that are facing tough situations when we have seen God time and time again provide A miracle in our life. And we have gone through it so many times before, but we get so wrapped up in the current situation that we literally forget the things that God has done for us and then we just assume, lay down and die spiritually. This is it, Lord. I cannot handle any more financial pressure. I cannot handle any more relational issues. I can't handle another physical problem in my life. I am done. This is the end of the road for me. And when you look at John 10.10, 10, it says, The thief comes not only to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come that you may have life and have it more abundantly. Suddenly, if you look down at chapter, verse, chapter, uh, verse 6 of chapter 19 in 1 Kings, suddenly an angel shook him and said, Get up and eat. He looked around to a surprise. Right by his head were a loaf of bread baked on some coals and a jug of water. He ate the meal and went back to sleep. The angel of God came back shook him again and said, get up and eat some more. You've got a long journey ahead of you. He got up, ate, drank his fill, and set out. Do you understand what that is saying? When he was saying, I'm done, God said, I had provision for you. When he thought it was all over, God said, sent an angel and gave him what he needed to continue the journey. The journey was not over for Elijah. I'm here to tell somebody in this house that the journey is not over for you. You might think it's over, it might not make sense, you don't understand it, but I'm here to tell you that it is not over, that there is provision for you where you are. I think it's funny. You see all these miracles and you're ready to go. You don't have another ounce of strength inside of you. Mark four thirty-five through 41 has a great story where Jesus and the disciples are getting ready to head over into the boat. They're leaving and I could take a vote or we could take a poll in this house and I would dare to believe everyone would agree with me that Jesus knows all. Okay, we're on the same page. So if Jesus is getting on the boat, did he not see the storm coming? He's seen a storm coming. Now, why is it that he didn't have the disciples start by Home Depot and get some five-gallon buckets? I don't understand that. Why didn't he start? I'm sure when Pastor got up this morning and seen that water about to get into the home, he went to Home Depot, got himself some pumps and got some stuff worked out. He's trying to fix the situation. But here, Jesus said nothing, nothing. Let those disciples get on that boat. Knowing one, a storm's coming and there's gonna be some problems. You know, we were... Obviously, on vacation, and um, the way we do our vacations now, especially out east, many of you probably couldn't survive how we do it. I know there are planners in the room. Uh, I know my brother would probably have a twitch in his neck if he ever traveled with me. But what we do is we literally plan the first two days of our trip. We know where we're going to land. When we get there, the next morning, the family we take a poll where we want to go. We'll go there. We'll have fun. We'll find a hotel in the area. Next morning. It's another family vote. Where do we want to go? We'll travel there. Nothing's planned. It's legitimately a vacation. I don't want a timeline. I don't want anything. I just want to have fun. As you can see, I've been in the sun a lot. I was talking to Tiffany Rickert this morning. I'm about as dark as she is right now until it peels. I was outside having a great time, not a plan in the world, loving it. And so on one of our trips, I told our boys, I said, all right, guys, we're going to the vineyard for a couple of days. Make sure you pack just enough stuff for the two days, and then we'll figure out where we're going after that. So that's what we did. I could imagine Jesus ready to get on that boat. I think one of the, the funnest parts of this scripture is that uh, it said he. Um, I believe it's verse thirty-eight. Jesus was in the stern sleeping on a cushion. That's a great mental picture. Don't you think Jesus maybe did the same thing? Like, all right, what am I going to need? I need my favorite pillow. I'm going to get my blanket. You know, maybe I'll get some essential oils. Maybe he called Kelsey and ordered some. Maybe he had, hey, maybe he had some candles, you know, maybe a little bit of peppermint, whatever all that stuff is that I don't believe in. He had it with them. And maybe he just set himself up a grilly plate place in the bottom of that boat to sleep. All the while, the disciples are upstairs on the top of the boat. had no clue the storm is coming. But here the storm comes And it starts to really overtake their boat. And so what do the disciples do? They go down to the bow of the boat and they yell at Jesus. The Bible says that they yelled at him and and they said, teacher, don't you care if we're done? He got up and he rebuked the wind and said to the waves, quiet, be still. Then the wind died down and it was completely calm. It was completely, I would rather have Jesus asleep in the middle of my storm any day than be on a boat with sunshine and him not be in my boat with me. I promise you, in life you will go through some things. If you're not in the middle of a battle or in a valley, you will be one day. And it's gonna be in your favor to have Jesus with his cushion, his blanket, and his pillow, and his cup of coffee, his macchiato, hanging out downstairs, waiting for your storm to try to overthrow your life, and then you can say, Jesus! And he's right there at the top of your boat with you, calming the waves and speaking to the storm. Who is in my seat with me? I would have loved to see which of the disciples were the worry warts. I would love to see it. Was it Peter, James? I don't know. I do. The water just. And then there are people like me. Listen, I've been through enough junk in my life that if anything else comes my way, I just don't care. Oh, we lose another car, that's cool, I can buy another car later. Oh, the house is taken away, we'll buy a house later on. I don't care, I just don't care why, because God has been faithful through every turn in my life that it doesn't rattle me anymore. Those, those temporal issues of life do not shake my foundation because I know who I am seated with. I could imagine, as Jesus was getting on his, the boat with his pillow, wondering, are they gonna panic? Are they going to give up? Or are they going to be like, Elijah, it's enough, God. Take us. Take us now, Lord. We can't handle it. There are some of us that have a hard hard time listening to the voice of God in chaos. But God sent Elisha to Elijah. Watch verse 19 and 21. Elijah went straight out and found Elisha in a field where there were 12 pairs of oxen, at work plowing, Elisha was in charge of the 12th pair. He wasn't even good enough to be part of the first pair. He was, at the, he was the, the last pair of oxen. That was Elisha. He wasn't even a good, good enough employee to be at the top of the string. He was just back of the bus, back there. Somebody got that. Elisha went up and threw his cloak over him. And then Elisha left and followed Elijah, becoming his right hand. For seven years, Elisha followed Elijah. And the flip side is for seven years... Elijah led Elisha. They were connected. Elisha's voice was Elijah. But how frustrated do you think Elisha was with Elijah? Seven years he was called. Seven years he followed him. Don't you think at, we, at maybe year two or three he was frustrated with Elijah? He said, oh man, get out of my way. It's my time. I was called. And we get frustrated when God shows us where we're going, but we haven't seen the plan or the process or the map and we get so upset, and whoever's in our way and where we think we should be, we get frustrated with them, and we want to push them out of the way when God's saying, it's not your time yet. There's due process. You hold on. You be faithful. You be wise. Surround yourself with the right people, and I'll bring it to you. And I could imagine on the other side as Elijah saying, look, chief, settle down. You ain't the guy yet. You better calm down. The frustration on his end. We have to work in tandem together. It's not you against me, you against each other, us against. We have to work together. We are one body members of it. Listen, just because you have a different gifting, I said it before, doesn't mean you're any different than I am. You are just as important in the kingdom of God. You are just as valuable to reaching the loss and to make it to heaven as anybody else. So don't get so anxious in your calling when God shows you something. Be patient, wait, learn, but be around the right people. I've never met so many people that can be in a room and get a touch of God and the minute we get out there, if you have the wrong voice in your life, everything that God gave you at this very altar can be lost over the wrong voice in your life, over the wrong people in your life. But to anyone that's ever had to Start in life, restart in life, things that you weren't comfortable with, things that you didn't ask for. You're frustrated because sometimes we never changed who was sitting in our seat. I've said this before. I know many companies that can only go so far because they're always afraid to change who was in the seat with them. Just because you managed 100,000 doesn't mean you can manage a million. Sometimes you have to evaluate who is in your seat Proverbs fifteen twenty two says, without counsel, plans fail, but with many advisors, they succeed. It's who are you sitting with? Who do you give a voice to? Are you one to speak negative or are you one to speak positive? What are we communicating? In today's culture, it gets very frustrating with everything. Listen, I, I, I could talk about this all day long because I love this subject. I am the king of blocking people on social media. Do it all day long. You get enough negativity on my page, you're done. You're out. It's over. I don't have time for that. I got some things I'm trying to do. But yet, we'll take the time to invest in community. Somebody get that, somebody's got a text. We'll take the time to communicate and repost and share. As far as I know, I have never seen anybody that's ever changed their political view or social stance off of social media because all I see is we got a rebuttal going right back saying why you believe what you believe and then all of a sudden all these awesome Christians are fighting each other. Here's the deal folks, one day you're all gonna be back in the house, online, everybody in this room, how can you worship around the front of these altars when you've been trashing each other throughout the online experience? How can we sit here and talk faith when we've been hiding out behind our keyboards and challenging each other? I'll tell you, I, I can't tell you how many times I'll, I'll sit in, in a premarital counseling session and try to, like, listen, folks, be careful who has a voice in your life. When you go talk, negative about your wife or your husband to all your friends what are they saying man i can't believe she did that either bro shoot you know what I that no way bro i paid a mortgage son you know what i mean that's my car she can take the bus man i can't believe he did that either Mm-mm. watch what i cook next time watch what i cook you want microwave dinners i got them mm-hmm. get the microwave dinner. do your own laundry and then guess what happens when you repair your marriage? Yeah, man, this is my wife. Oh, dang, that's your wife? Now, now you gotta worry about him saying or she saying something to your spouse because you talk bad about them. Be careful who's in your seat. Put people that can sit with you and counsel you to repair the relationship and not trash your relationship. That's just free. It matters who's in your seat. Who are you talking to? Who are you investing your time in? How are you talking? Corrupt communication? That's a tough situation. And here we're the children of God. You know what's great? You watch Elijah and Elisha, the mentorship that happened there. You realize it was seven years that Elijah was mentoring Elisha. And it wasn't until God seen that it was time it was fit. When Elisha went up into heaven, then his mantle, his jacket fell on Elisha. He wasn't ready for seven years. What God's got for you, he'll give it to you when you're ready. When God has a plan and he has spoken it to you, when you're ready, he'll give it to you. Don't try to sidestep the process. Don't try to sidestep and manipulate the situation. Watch how you're praying. Watch the the intention behind your prayers, the words you're using, the things that you're watching. Shelter yourself and protect yourself because you can hurt yourself in the process and miss the opportunity. You can be like the Israelites for 40 years, like knuckleheads walking around because they missed it. Who sits with you? So we've heard this story several times: the meeting of the minds, Henry Ford, Thomas Edison, President Harding, and Harvey Firestone. Henry Ford, obviously the founder of Ford Automobile, created he he did the modern assembly line that we now get to see if you tour downtown. Innovative. Thomas Edison, over a thousand patented inventions. He invented the the phonograph as well as the light bulb. President Harding, the 29th president of the United States, a Republican from Ohio, defeated his Democratic opponent with the largest landslide in American history, Mr. Firestone. He founded the Firestone Tire and the rubber company. All these great men would go on vacation together. Guess who didn't come? Negative Sally. Didn't come. Nope. Wasn't having Debbie Downer. She wasn't on the trip with him. You had meeting of the minds. You had very intentional people together that were in their circle of life. My point is these men had changed the world, but would any of them do it if their association with others were negative? say this all the time. If you want a better marriage, link yourself up with a great couple in the church that's got a spiritual foundation, a great walk. If you're tired of being broke, quit hanging around with broke people. Find somebody that's got a job and they have an entrepreneurial spirit and that they know how to save and spend their money wisely and that they're, and they're following biblical principles in tithing and offering. Those are the things that you have to watch and watch yourself. But these men didn't spend time with negative or defeated, critical, gossiping people. They spent their time with other dreamers. No wonder they went to places others never went, found things and qualities that they desired in each other. They were lifelong friends. Ezekiel 4, 9 through, 12, uh, Ecclesiastes 4, 9 through 12 says that two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil. For if they fall, one will lift up the other. But woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. And again, if two lie together, they keep warm. But how can one keep the other one warm alone? I say that to my wife every time. Her feet are ice cold. I believe there is a physical problem with my wife. I don't believe anybody's feet should be this cold. I'd imagine, I don't know how cold they get, they just don't snap off and break. They're just freezing. It would almost be like Titanic, which none of you Christians have ever watched, when when she, I'll never let you go, Jack, and shoves him off because he's like just frozen. That's my life every night. But I believe I'm in the will of God. I am there to keep her warm. If not, her feet would be completely frozen. Frozen. Some of y'all men know exactly what I'm talking about. It is the death trap at night. Sometimes you end up doing one of these so you're almost off the bed because you're afraid. Like I can feel the temperature change the closer they get. They don't even touch me. Just the temperature changes. And though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him. A three-fourth cord is not quickly broken. There is a seat beside you, but you allow yourself to sit with scorners. Or do you allow yourself to sit in heavenly places? Who are the people that we are in community with? Who is it that will take the time out of our day to sit down? Why is it so easy for us to share the the current news cycle, repost something, but yet, When was the last time that we just talked scripture? When was the last time that we edified each other and provoked each other to good works and strengthened another couple and took somebody? Are we the type of people that bring down the room or do we lift each other up in the room? Who are we? Who do we allow in our lives? Are we going to be like Elijah where it gets so crazy and chaotic that now all of a sudden you find yourself at a tree sitting alone? in the middle of your journey, when God is waiting to send you an angel and say, hey, listen, I've got provision for you. Your journey's not over. I'm about to pour something back in your life. Get up and eat again. I want you to strive towards the mark for the high calling of Christ. There ought to be somebody in this room that understands what I'm talking about, when you can see where you have come from, where you are now, but your future is not dictated by your present situation. You are not just a product of the environment that you are in now. You're just listening to the wrong voice you just have the wrong people at your seat that's with you maybe it's time to change who's seated with you or maybe it's time we need to watch what we're saying maybe now is not the time listen this world has enough with the pandemic social injustice everything that we're dealing with now is not the time for god's people to bicker online now is not the time for us to bicker in person. Now is the time for us to share and be a light in our world because they're looking for something that is stable. This is the hour that the church was meant for. This is the hour that you're meant for. You were put here for such a time as this. You were created 20 years ago, 80 years ago, 100. You were put here right now in this time. I want us to stand in closing. Psalms 1.1, our opening scripture. Blessed is the man that walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. Are you sitting under a tree alone? If you're really to look at yourself, this is why the enemy loves to alienate you. If he can alienate you, he can destroy you. He's the only voice. He's the only one sitting with you. But if you can surround yourself with God's people, you submit to a pastor that loves you. You might not like everything that he asks of you, but when you sit under a man of God that loves your soul, there's nothing that I can give him. He's not doing it for anything in return. So if you can sit under a man of God that is on the wall watching out for your soul, not for you to be alienated. Maybe you're in the middle of a storm and you forgot that Jesus was in the bow of your boat. He's asleep somewhere. You haven't heard from him in a long time. Maybe you've been on this journey, it's been some time, and you haven't heard from him, you haven't connected with him. Do you understand when scripture tells you that he'll never leave you or forsake you? When you have received his spirit, you have been baptized in Jesus' name, you're his child. Don't confuse his silence for his, his disappearance. Don't confuse that. He wants to see how you're going to behave. Are we going to be like the disciples? Are we going to come down and yell and wake them up? Or is it man overboard? Pastor preached an amazing message on Jonah. And before they overthrew Jonah, they threw everything outside of the boat. All of their provisions, everything that would have made them money. They threw everything out. And the last thing they threw out was the very first thing they should have thrown out. And a light went inside my head because I started to think, how many times we get in a situation and we'll throw everything out except the problem we have because we're loyal to the problem. We have a connection to the problem. We have a relationship to the problem. Is there somebody in your life when they call, you can feel your anxiety rise? Is there somebody as soon as they comment or post something that you get nervous and worked up before you even get to read it? Why do we allow ourselves back in the same situation, looking at who is in the seat? I think in today's climate that we're in, Who's sitting with us am i the problem am i the one that's speaking negativity am i the one that has disconnected am i the one that's become so jaded in life that i have such a hard time speaking truth and ministering or have i become so loyal to somebody that's become poison in my life or something that i've allowed that to take such as such a prominent place in my life that now I can't even see any further than my current situation. And I find myself at the bottom of that tree. I find myself in that boat, trying to figure out where. Seven years, there was a calling on Elisha, seven years he waited. How long have you been waiting? How many missed opportunities have we had because we waited till six years and gave up? How many times has God promised us something, but because we were so impatient with the process, we decided to give up on what he had called us to do because we had a voice in our life that said, hey, you know what, on tomorrow I'm killing you. No thanks, Jezebel, you're not in my seat. I'm not going to listen to you any longer that's not going to happen you cannot declare who i am because i am his child i am his son i am his daughter you don't have a right in my life to tell me where i'm going or who i am you can't define me anymore by my past i will not allow that and if you're in this house and you remember something god gave you a long time ago Maybe it was a gift he gave you. His gifts are without repentance. He gave you that gift for a reason. Were you so distraught that you turned that over? You gave up on it. How many times was God ready to pour out a blessing? It's December 15th, six years later, and Elisha quit, said, I'm too tired. I can't follow this man another month. And he could have lost what God gave him but because he pursued I loved hearing that this morning out of the pew and pursue there's too many Christians sitting in a house in a pew somewhere where we need to pursue what God gave us and use the gifting he gave us and understand you're needed now is not the time it's not the time to stop it's not the time to fail Oh, come on, somebody. I'm telling you, there is no accident we've had 115 people in prayer. There's no accident our numbers keep climbing. I'm not trying to spin the face of this pandemic. We respect it and we understand it. But listen, I will not allow any pandemic or social injustice to shut my mouth in a time where God created me to be used and to attract others to him and be a light in this broken world. Jesus. So maybe you've made some decisions. Maybe there are people in your life that you're frustrated with. Maybe you're the frustrated one that is speaking negative, jaded, hurt. You can change today. There is no reason we can walk out of these doors to the same phone calls, to the same texts, to the same conversations, to the same people, that year after year, a repetitive cycle, over and over again, when God is saying, it's easy, change your seat. Find somebody else to sit in the seat. Maybe we need to clean up our hearts. Maybe there are some things we need to stop talking about, some music we should stop listening to, things we should stop watching. There are some disciplines we need back in our lives. Who is sitting in your seat? I want to open up these altars because I believe that there is going to be a miracle today and that God is wanting to free somebody that is almost at the edge and where they're ready to give up. And God is saying, now's not the time. Listen, seven years is a long time. Maybe it's eight years. Maybe it's six months for you. I don't know what that is, but now is not the time to give up. Now is the time for us to engage. So I want to open up these altars and listen. Sometimes I understand. Well, I don't wanna go up there, it's embarrassing. I I don't want people to know that, you know, maybe they think I'm the one with the problem. Or maybe they're gonna try to figure out who's in the seat. I'm trying to, what's in my seat? The best thing that Paul could have told us is, but such were some of you. You're in a house full of people that have been delivered, that have been sanctified, that have been forgiven, that all of us have struggled. There's not a perfect one in our bunch. This is a church for everyone, not just one, This is for all. And so if you're struggling this morning, I ask you, come to the front. Talk to him. Let's pray together. Let's bind together and understand that there are some things that I need to shift in my life. There are some things I need to change. I've had the same people around me for the last 10 years and my life's not getting any better. What is going on? Is it something inside of me, God, or is it something else? But what is it, Lord? And begin to pray over it and believe that God is going to do the miraculous. And so as they begin to sing, I want there to be a a spirit of freedom that comes through this place and to understand he is powerful. He'll change it all if we'll but give it to him.